I think it's how you wear it. I think uh, jewelry should never wear you. You should wear it. You don't want earrings pinching your ears and you want to take them off or, or, or a ring that um, that's itchy or a bracelet that just feels too tight. You want it to become a, a part of you. You want your jewelry to live with you. You want it to become a part of you. Our creations are being worn and enjoyed daily and not, not being put away in a safe and just coming out for a special event, you know, needs to become a part of your part of your life. Hi, I'm Dan Rubenstein, and this is The Grand Tourist. I've been a design journalist for nearly 20 years, and this is my personalized guided tour through the worlds of fashion, art, architecture, food and travel, all the elements of a well-lived life. If you were to name some of the most exquisite jewelers in the world, Cartier, Tiffany, Van Cleef, you'd find them all in predictable places like Paris and New York, and often now part of large luxury conglomerates, but not the fourth-generation family-run house of Hemmerle. My guests today, Christian and Yasmin Hemmerle, are based in Munich. Together, they run one of the most delightfully unique brands in the world. Christian's family took over a goldsmithing business in 1893 that had been in operation since 1796. And in the 125 years since, the family's had a legacy of craft, precision, and originality that today remains one of the few such houses in family control. In the late 1800s, the company became a supplier to the Bavarian royal court, and in the early 20th century, a supplier to the Vatican. These most regal of clients have meant thousands and thousands of medals and such, keeping the house alive and well throughout the generations. But it was Christian's father, Stefan, in 1970, who took over the company and began turning the traditional goldsmith and dealer into the fashion-forward brand that it is today. In 2006, Christian and his wife, an Egyptian native, Yasmin, entered the picture. Hammerly can be found at their headquarters in Munich, of course, but also at various art fairs around the world, including Tefoff in Maastricht, where I first came across their creations in person. And what creations they are. Far from the expected, they're known for their inventive use of materials, such as iron, copper, and even wood. No two pieces are alike, and some of their better-known collections have included snail brooches made from diamonds and real snail shells, an example of which was shown at the Cooper Hewitt Museum in New York. Or green, leafy earrings from their recent Infused Jewels collection made from aluminum. More on that later. But most fans might know them today for their super-wearable Harmony bangle, first created in 1991. Simple in shape, but sophisticated in construction, it's become a house signature. I caught up with Christian and Yasmin from their headquarters in Munich to chat about their design process, Hammerly's amazing history, what the next generation of collectors are looking for, and how some of their more extraordinary works can take up to 600 hours to produce. Yasmin and Christian, thank you so much for speaking with me. Uh, the house began more than 125 years ago when your great-great-grandfather purchased a goldsmithing company. Uh, that itself was in operation since the late 18th century. What do you know about that early sale? Why, why did it happen? Um, I mean, the word purchase, and I think that's that's the f amazing introduction to, to my family's history, is something, you know, we look at it today. 150 years ago, it was like more who takes care of my company and who continues my legacy. And <clears throat> my great-grandfather actually did it in a very hammerless style. Um, and what is the Hemmerle style? He, he, he took over the place he worked for, uh, which um, was a couple called Elchinger. And he, he asked his brother to join him. And 
they took us they took their sweet time to incorporate so they we mm. found uh, when we looked at the old documents they incorporated only a year and a half after they started to actually work so they work before they did the paperwork which is a lot like what we do today you know we um, <laughs> we're we're more an artistic company and um we uh, did a lot of research of um, the past and when we looked into my my family's history we found out that the people who ran the company before my great grandfather they actually had taken over from a person who had taken it over so the workshop can be traced back to 1796 and um, i think that's that's something fantastic that we that we continued that legacy and that one element of what they've done which is making the medals for the Bavarian royal family, we still continue to today's day. What kind of, I mean, we talk about these medals, like what kind of medals from the, the royal family and, and from Bavaria like, were created at the time? Like what sort of things were needed? There are many. I mean, I, I only found out later, but I think we, my great-grandfather must have produced in the hundred thousands. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, they were given to many, many people. I mean, for especially for for military reasons at the time, you know, but the Bavarian king was um strong in having a parade and having having reasons to be a king, but um it was more like to decorate people. So there were very different versions of it and um later on we did medals also for for um for the Vatican. So, you know, there were merits given people loyal to the court. And so I think it was a big business model. Yasmin, when you first, uh, you know, met Christian and started to get involved uh, in this amazing company, you know, when you think back to that sort of heritage, like what kind of, what stands out to you as someone who who knows the world of jewelry so well and, and has such a passion for it? I don't know if I know it so well, but I've always loved jewelry. And um, Kristen and I have uh, met at university. So that's a very, very long time ago. We met in 2002. And um, when I later found out that Kristen's family was in jewelry making and he told me, Hemele, I was shocked that I didn't know it. And I said, how can I not know it? Um, jewelry has been um, a passion, uh, not only of mine, but it comes from my both my, my mother and my paternal grandmother, my maternal grandmother. I think um, everyone, jewelry has been something that we've all loved. And, and I don't know if it comes from the tradition of being Egyptian and um, that jewelry has always been a part of everyday life. So when I heard about Hammerly, I was very intrigued. And when I saw the very first piece, I'll never forget, it was, it had wood and it was a harmony bangle. And I was so fascinated, not only by the combination of the materials, but also by the craftsmanship. It's the harmony bangle. If you've never seen it, it, it has a, a hidden hinge, which twists the bangle. So you can open it by twisting it and then slowly uh, putting your arm in. And I was amazed. I'm like, wow, how can this, how, how can you even, you know, make something like this? And um, after that, I was introduced to many more pieces of Hemerly. And I fell in love with each and every piece because each and every piece was so different and so individual. It had a, a lot of character and strength, and it was practically like an object by itself. And so you guys met in university. Where, where did you meet in university? What is the story how you guys met? We met in uh, London and uh, we went to the, the, the university was called the European Business School and we call it, it was the University of Life. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I had I grew up in Cairo and moved to London because my brother lived in London and um, my parents were um, hesitant to have me go out into the world and be all by myself. And so I was also um, very happy to have my brother with me. And oh, just six months later, Christian and I met and we've been together, yes, ever since. So it's, uh, we've gone through a lot together. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, if you meet somebody in a, let's say, you know, I, I had met you guys in, in person at, uh, at the Tafoff Art Fair um, recently, where you guys have, have shown for, for quite so many years. Yasmin, how do you explain uh, Hammerly to, to someone who, has, who walks in completely fresh? They're just, they wander into the booth and they go, what is this? How do you, how do you introduce yourself to them? Um, so when, so when I first started working for Hammerly, I had done an internship for a diamond dealer in Paris before. And, oh, okay. um, since my, um, since a child, I used to be going to this diamond dealer with my father and, um, I was very lucky to always see the most beautiful diamonds and uh, get to choose some things. But, um, later when I started working for Hammerly, I remember it was actually just after a honeymoon, there was a um, trade show and I was um, there with my father-in-law and, and my husband and Christian. And I asked them, so what are we looking for? And they both looked at me and they said, we're not looking for anything. I said, you can't mean we're all the way in Hong Kong and we're not looking for anything. doesn't make any sense. They're like, when you see, you will know. Sounded very absurd to me. And uh, now looking back at it, I can understand why they said that is there are certain stones and certain materials that kind of speak to you. So I say at Hammerly, we put on our shoes and then we get dressed because we do not create, we do not make a design and then try to put the stone or into the design. We create around the stone. So the stone is always the center point and the start of the inspiration. I would say that Hammerly has a language that is an unspoken language in a way, especially when buying certain stones or materials. Um, if you would take my father-in-law, my husband, myself, and somebody else to a fair today or show us 10 different stones, 20 different stones, we will all come out individually having chosen the same ones. I think that's where Hammerly is very different, is that the starting point is always the stone and we create around it. And also by not limiting yourself to a certain, or not trying to fit into a box. You know, you know, you grow, grow up, you can't do this, you can't do this. Why can a, can a circle be put into a square? Or does it have to be separate? And I think that's, that's the biggest advice my father-in-law ever gave us. He's like, don't try and think if it's right or wrong, because it might be right, it might be wrong, but there is, in creation, there is no right and wrong. So that's what we try. So that's, that's, that's the language and that's what I picked up the most. And um, also that time, taking your time to create something, you need to give it all the time it needs. Yeah. And then Christian, how would you describe this kind of Hammerly language? I, I guess what yes Yasmin said um, we are about or my 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 dad and my mother who who started you know to to move away from um, from what my ancestors or for what my great grandparents and grandparents did they wanted unintentionally to create a language they said they would like to be recognized for their work and my 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 father always um, compares to not not that we compare ourselves but he said you know picasso if you send a little child to a museum and 
you send him over and over again, time after a certain time, he will be able to identify Picasso. My dad wanted that our language, our design has one red thread so that not everybody, but people who have seen Hammerle can identify our work as Hammerle. And I think that's that's our biggest achievement over the last 40 years is that really our works can be identified as ours. And that has, has been a natural process. And when, when, when people come to us first, how do I describe it? I think we're multifaceted because we're famous for using different materials. We use iron, we, we use copper, we use brass, uh, we use, you know, obviously gold because we're goldsmith. And we don't use these materials to, for the sake of using them, but actually for finding the perfect home for each gem. So to go back to what Yasmin said, we, we start around the gem. We try to create the perfect home. We try to crea create a wearable piece of jewelry because we don't, we're a small firm. We don't do big you know, advertising campaigns. So our pieces are our biggest ambassadors. And so, and so Christian, like what, what is that sort of design process like with you guys? What is that sort of, obviously, if you have this language, right, there must be something unique. It's a creative mess. It's a creative mess. It's a creative what mess. Is your, what is your, how do you describe this creative mess that is, that is continually, continually happening over and over again that produces tr such beautiful pieces? What is that language? I think it's the toolbox. It's the toolbox. Mm. It's, it's, it's uh, traveling, finding the right gemstones or getting uh, the right gemstones offered, collecting them, sometimes not knowing what to do with them for years. I think is a strong suit of ours. Sometimes we, we we buy a gem, we put it in a vault, we sometimes don't look at it for years, we forget it, and then we take it mm -hmm. out, and then we have the right idea. And um, that, that 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 you know that stew uh, that uh, you you need to when when we are excited, we feel the client will be excited. So when you're not excited, you need to understand to put it away again. Um, and to rethink it, I, I had once, or not not had, but I had this very um, interesting discussion with another creative person in in a very different field, and they 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 said to me, Christian, you know, we only like to do something when all the domino pieces fall perfectly into each other, and I think that's the right adv advice. When you feel something isn't working out, put it away. You know, it's going to come back to you, and. Um, I think that 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 is that is you know that is one of an amazing ingredient we have here is that obviously we have pressure, but that we take the liberty to put that pressure aside and to to make a piece when we know it's great because when we're all convinced it's really teamwork it's you know my parents who've been strongly involved Yasmin myself and 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 our team and all the craftsmen then you then you're able to create something so exciting. That that magic, that energy will be transported in a heartbeat to everybody who who per, who looks at our jewelry. And I think if if that recipe works out, you know, then um, then the rest is not a problem. Before we return to Yasmin and Christian, a word from our sponsor, Fort Street Studio. Fort Street Studio's sumptuous carpets are expertly hand knotted and executed in nuanced color combinations that are the signature of the studio's painterly designs, which originate from watercolor art. One of Fort Street Studios' luxurious offerings is the brand's Thai silk collection of rugs and tapestries. 
It's a rare and exclusive production that involves hand-reeled silk spun into thick cord or soft yarns to create original designs by founding creative directors Janice Provisor and Brad Davis. These artistic designs are then produced by a team of women in a remote village in northern Thailand, where they do everything from grow and harvest the silk, prepare the yarn, string the looms, to weaving the carpets. The high-gloss effect of Thai silk makes it perfect for flat-woven creations that are ribbed, cable-knit, or brocaded, or for a more traditional cut-pile carpet, or even an exotic fur-like shag. And just like all offerings from Fort Street Studio, the Thai silk collection can be customized to your needs in color and shape. To create your own heavenly soft Thai silk rug, visit fortstreetstudio.com. And before this sort of modern era, your your father took over the company in the late 60s, I think in the late 60s, 70s. Um, you know, what was the company like when he took over? I mean, obviously, uh, I think that was when he was trying to struggle to to kind of evolve this this very sort of traditional company into what we would, you know, as like a, a pure jewelry house rather than... Um, a goldsmith that would make, you know, medals and honors and things like that. Can you describe like what that was like at the time? I mean, my, my, my dad started very young. Uh, my, uh, my, my dad started in the early seventies uh, to, to fully work for his parents. Um, and he was supposed to get more work experience, but my grandfather was uh, in bad health. And so he called him and said, Stefan, you have to start now. And so my, my, my dad only had nine months with my grandfather and uh, he took over a business who was more a dealer with an attached workshop. So um, we've, we've, we've moved in 1903 in our today's premises on Maximilianstraße in Munich, which is the premier high street. Uh, but we've only really made contemporary jewelry till since, since the late 70s. Uh, my my grandparents and great grandparents, obviously, next to making these ornaments, had challenging times. There were um, two world wars. There was um, a pandemic, uh, the Spanish flu. Um, there were you know all these different obstacles, and um, especially my my grandfather. There were really more dealers in silver and in objects, and uh, they were. Um, you know, there there were there were certain pieces which were commissioned to, to them um, by the by the royalties and um, by um, by by the local Munich people. But you know, also traveling at the time wasn't as common as it is today. So so my dad took over a very different business, and um, obviously, you know, to, to break three of these boundaries wasn't an easy process. So uh, what was there first uh, when your father kind of? switched gears to really becoming you know uh to be more of a producer rather than than a dealer what was their first what would you say was their sort of like their first big success i i don't know if you've heard of the story that so my father-in-law is one of the most creative people i've ever i've ever met and um he always he won't just see something plainly he'll see it in three dimensions and he'll see it in a very different way he has just an incredible eye for creation and and um, also when you think that there's nothing there's really something behind it and um and he loves challenges if you tell him no he will find a solution for anything 
and um he was always attracted to beautiful stones and he had uh, one of his collectors and his collector wanted to buy his wife um a diamond and his wife was only used to wearing berlin iron jewelry and did not want a diamond so it set off stefan on a tangent and he said look i and it set him off and he said okay i am going to create an iron and a diamond set in iron so he went to his workshop to the workshop and he said we have to do this and um it's quite minimalistic so it's basically the a, a diamond set in a very simple band which takes the form of the diamond and gold on the inside and he was very excited and he went back to his collector and said i have something for you and his mm. collector loved it he said this is incredible he fell in love with it and he showed it to his wife and his wife was not as excited so Stefan <laughs> was a bit surprised and he was so happy with what what you know, what had come to be and she did not end up by buying it but mm. it set him off on this tangent where he said you know what this is what what this is the, the material that spoke to him at the moment it was the the time the, the side guys at the time he's like this is what i'm going to start working with days go by and the collector does end up by buying a diamond set in iron but not that one and stefan found that uh, his other collectors were so amazed and intrigued and they found this look to be very st strong but it had something it gave them i don't know a, a different feeling to all in compared in comparison to all the other jewelry and um my mother-in-law who was also very involved in the business and still involved in the business um said this 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 is something we should you know kind of develop further and so that was that was the first material that they used that was not gold or silver and uh, or wood and it set them on, on on a new path a path of discovery and uh we've ever since then we've been continuing to to we've been continuing to use different materials and and see um how how they uh you know how they work well i want to christian i heard your mom is still very very involved in the business. Uh, what is her legacy uh, with Hammer? I mean, my 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 mom, you know, is um, my both my parents will always be around. Um, my mom has um, taken a little bit of a step down, but my mother and father were both intricate as a team to the history of this company. And my mom's entrepreneurial vision was amazing. I take my hats off. Uh, what decisions she took and at what age, uh, how they, they brought Hamlet to America um, and how she influenced our style. You know, we say she's a colorist. She had this beautiful sense of understanding which colors would suit, um, which color combinations would be great. I'd say, you know, they, they were an amazing team and um, my dad would not be there without my mom and obviously my uh, mom would not be there without my dad so we are both Yasmin and I are both very thankful to all the work they have done to to bring the company to that level and that they also gave us you know the the, the space they took us under their wings and the, but they also allowed us to try new things and um, yeah give us the space to to try new things and they weren't telling us what to do which which is incredible because it doesn't always happen that way. They had the they had the confidence in us. And when it, when they first brought this the 
Hammerly to the United States, uh, where where did that begin? Who who gave Hammerly the first big break in the U.S.? Well, that's a fantastic story. So my uh, my mom and dad, um, they uh, they brought in the mid '90s Hammerly to to Florida, and uh, they were showing in Palm Beach, and then day after another day, people came over and they said to 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 my parents, "When are you coming to New York? When are you coming to New York?" And then one day, my mom said, "In the fall." And my dad must have stood like five, six meters apart and he heard her and he walked over to us. Why did you say this? She's like, yes, everybody's saying, when are we coming to New York? He's like, but, but we don't have a plan. We don't, we don't know where. She's like, don't worry. Everybody's saying we should come to New York. So we're coming to New York. And that's what they did. And eight months later, they were in New York and they were showing in a hotel and they, they not invented, but I mean, you know, they, they were, my, my parents started to make trunk shows popular in jewelry you mean in jewelry yes and they showed in new york and we had a home for um, for nearly 20 years and then uh, with covid we have moved to um, to a new home is you know going back you know producing uh metals right for a court requires a lot of precision everything needs to be exactly the same it needs to sparkle like jewelry it, it's sort of a combination of design and craft and artistry and you have to be quite efficient at it and and quite technically good um it from a layman's sort of point of view right um and you have now since that first iron diamond creation mm -hmm. uh, what kind of jewelry was it by the way a ring it was a ring mm -hmm. you know and today you see things you know uh pieces made with wood pieces made to look like a mushroom, pieces used uh, with small bits of antiquities, uh, you know, reshaped into earrings or a brooch or what have you. Um, tell me about your workshops and the people that have been probably with you, uh, you know, since as long as either of you can remember, and probably maybe their parents were, were working there as well. Um, what makes your workshop in such a way where, you know, what skills do you have or what team do you have that allow you to kind of create these objects that are always so completely one of a kind, you know, you're not just relying on the same, uh, you know, the same skill or the same kind of thing that you can repeat because it's so um, situational to the design. Exactly. Right? So actually the, um, what, the last employee of the time of my grandparent, we retired during COVID. Oh. So we go back, we have a history of having people working for us for quite some time. So 25% of our workshop is 25 years and longer working for the company. Wow. So I think um, the workshop is our backbone and they've, they've been through, you know, all the stages of the company. Um, the, the part Yasmin was talking about before was the was the real breakthrough where I think my dad and my mother were able to leave the past behind. However, the workshop has always been so supportive of um, creating new ideas. Um, the Harmony Bangle Yasmin was mentioning before was introduced to us 31 years ago. So it was de developed in the 80s. Um, we developed a class for a watch. Um, the workshop was always, I, 
I, I think they always had the ethos where there's a will, there's a way. And that I guess is something amazing. And that spirit has been passed down from generation to generation. Um, we have a great mix of young and old. So we had, we had this um, elderly gentleman who, who actually joined the company before my father. So he's oh, worked wow. nearly 50 years for, for my family. Um, and we have very young people working for us. We have people who, who do an apprentice. We're very lucky to be, to be based in a place where um, the education, especially for youngsters, happens in a dual system. So people go to school and they, co they come and work for a company. So we have this apprentice program, which takes three and a half years in the workshop. So we always have young people around. We have old people around. We have, I think this, we have this mix of energies, of, of positive energies, um, where you, you can, you, you know, where, where the old, old guys, um, they, they look at some young people and they say, wow, you know, this is how we can also do it and vice versa. You know, they, they, the young people, they can look up to someone and can see, wow, that, that can be achieved. So what we really do today is prototype building. And um, if if you look back to 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 the past, um, they made uh, I don't want to say they, they they did multiples. Today we we do singular works, but <laughs> the, the the precision work from that time is still alive. And I think that ethos, mm. which has been kept in our workshop, is um, one of the pillars of why we are so um, I don't want to use the word successful, but why it works well. What is that prototyping like? Like what, how many, how many iterations of prototypes or how do you, what is that process like from sort of idea to? Oh, every, every piece is a prototype. We have a, we have a, we have a workshop of 22 master craftsmen um, who do prototype building. And um, they, they have that language that, uh, that, that design that shape, that uh, that shape, yeah, yes, Formensprache. Um, um, they 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 follow that language of design and forms and shapes, but in theory, it's all prototype building over and over again. So it's very hard to predict how long a piece will take, um, how um, how something will turn out. And I think the, the the beauty of working with these all these craftsmen so closely is that we are also able to pivot in the within the process. And that again, I talk about, I repeat these words, but this is one of the freedom which which makes every Hamlet piece so so successful and or so so right in within itself, it just works. And and Christian, can you explain, uh, you know, briefly how many pieces is the house producing per year, and how many are sort of one off, you know, one of a kind versus things that are in more in in series. Um, so we um, we're very proud to say that uh, we create every piece as a one-off. Um, not all are um, prototypes, but a piece never exists in the same color twice. So we have this language. Um, we want to be recognized, um, and um, they're they're all unique pieces, which leave our workshop, which are about two hundred. 190 sometimes 205 it's very funny the month has uh, the year has 12 months and uh, we seem to end up always at the same amount uh, some pieces some pieces may take up to 600 hours others go hopefully faster because otherwise my workmen would uh, probably um, not be so happy uh, because that's uh, that's very hard work um, 
So yes, they're um, they're they're all unique, and uh, we are very proud that they are collected from LA to Tokyo, as I always say. So they're spread around the globe, and um, I hope we find for each and every piece the perfect home. And and speaking of these incredible pieces, one of the your recent new projects is the the idea of the infused jewels. Can you, Yasmin? Can you take me a little bit through what that is and 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 how it came to be. So Infused Jewels is uh, our last uh, special project. And um, actually, uh, th- this nature-inspired direction really started when my father-in-law had created his first mushrooms. And um, so that was, you know, an, an eye-opener. Uh, what year was that, the mushrooms? I think the tw- 2002. Okay. And um, ever since then, we've created a few different projects. We did Delicious Jewels, which was Kristen and my very first project. It was based on vegetables. And we had a, a cookbook by Tamazin Day Lewis, created a recipe for each of our pieces. And um, Infused Jewels was our last. And Infused Jewels was based on um, a tea, a herbal tea that we made. I love tea. Um, I free, I'm always very cold, so I like to drink something warm and soothing. And Munich is known for its herbalists here. And uh, yeah. we wanted to create our own tea. And every ingredient in the tea is a piece of jewelry. And But Infuse has Jewels has been our most multifaceted project because we work together with the, the manufacturers of Nymphenburg porcelain. So it was the first piece we ever created, um, um, a, an orange blossom. And the leaves right. uh, are made out of um, porcelain. So we worked very closely with the Manufaktur Nymphenburg in Munich. And uh, they have the most incredible porcelain. And when you see, so they are porcelain. The way we see Hammerly is the, for jewelry is the way we see Nymphenburg for porcelain. So it was wonderful to collaborate with them. And we created um, tea caddies for every single piece of jewelry that were then painted. And um, we then went on to create um, a fairy tale story and had it illustrated. And the whole, the, what we, the message that we wanted to bring across with that is to savor the moment. I think um, to take the time to sit down with your tea, enjoy it, and just be taken and captured into another world just for a little while. We all run around the whole day. And just to take that time for yourself, I think it's the the biggest luxury today is to have time. And so we just wanted everyone to maybe take a few minutes of their day and to be transported somewhere else. So we created um, 13 pieces. And they were, we had rosemary, we had um, orange blossom, we had uh, lavender earrings, we had um, linden blossoms. So using different materials, we used emeralds, we used diamonds, we used aluminum was the main uh, material that we used Mm. because of its weight, because it's very light and and the colors were, were very fitting even though we had a lot of trial and error, but. <laughs> and what, yeah, like how did you, I mean, obviously aluminum is not something I would think about. With jewelry. When I think about high jewelry. <laughs> so, you know, how long does it take to kind of figure out this kind of metal and then work with it and get it to the point where you are satisfied with it? Because it must be, that must take a long time. It, so the thing with aluminum is it's not very forgiving. 
So we need to do a lot of testing beforehand. Even though you test a lot, you really never know what you're going to get. But it's a, it's an exciting material to work with. And um, I think when we first started working with it in at, at our atelier, there were a lot of people who were hesitant to work with it because even it's very soft. And as I said, it's not very forgiving. But on the other hand, it you you can create the most incredible forms because it's it's quite thin, and it's also um, and you can create the most incredible colors, which we didn't know when we started working with it because it's actually used in the car industry, and we were when we were trying to figure out what you can and can't do, you know, we we found out that people were like you can't get more than 20 30 colors um and we've achieved much much more than that with the different nuances in color and um it's one of my favorite materials and i'm also fascinated by your 2018 project which was part of your 125th anniversary called revive treasures um and obviously you know because i know you guys also through through tafoff which of course is a, an art fair that sells a lot of antiquities um where did this idea come from? And if you could explain it, uh, Christian, to this sort of collection, because it's still, it's still so super unique. So my dad um, always looked for antique pieces, artifacts um, to be incorporated in his jewelry design. Um, you know, it started as, as, as basic as with ancient coins um, and then later old and antique cameos and um, intaglios and I think Yasmin and I we just took that language further and when we uh, wanted to celebrate our 125th anniversary um, we looked at um, different um, ideas and I you know it's so beautiful to continue someone's legacy and we do this in our business on a daily basis with my family, but we feel in a much more beautiful way. We recycle our little miniature artworks from the past. So um, maybe micro mosaics, um, maybe Egyptian artifacts. I'm I'm a huge fan of Egypt, um, so actually it was my idea to you know to to to, to let Egypt live on in in our in our jewels even though my wife is the egyptian in the family um <laughs> i um you know the, the forms and shapes and the way i always think it's so amazing how people thought like hundreds of years ago about beauty and how we still consider um these innovations as as something so extraordinary i think that's something we should live and and, and show on a, on a daily basis so nothing more beautiful than to incorporate miniature artworks into our jewelry. And yes, and was there a piece from that collection that you 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 love you love particularly? I love them all very much. Each one was very different. Um, um, I you know I was fascinated. There's um you know Egyptians wore jewelry every day or not every day, but Egyptians um they had all these amulets that they kept. And what we had, Stefan had a collection of scarabs that he'd been keeping aside and that we'd been adding to very, very slowly. So we had a, a pair of earrings, like chandelier earrings that were all out of scarabs. And um, and then there was um, a piece that's a lotus from the Armana uh, period, uh, which is the 18th dynasty. And just to see the condition that it was in was incredible. And it was actually, um, and during the ancient Egyptian times, they used to use it as a necklace, but they had two of them. So they would 
put the strands in between each one so that you had little holes at the bottom and you would string them through and it would be a necklace. And we were very lucky to come across one and uh, the colors, uh, you had turquoise, you have a darker blue and you have like a burgundy um, color, all of the, in the faience is it's just, it's just so perfect. You wouldn't think that it's such an ancient piece and we um, gave it a new home and it's still a necklace but it's a hemerly necklace so it's combined with knitted um, beads and an emerald and sapphires do you ever think about that next generation of of clients and you know obviously you must see people coming and going from different generations you know uh you know, younger women coming in to to collect and and to maybe to buy their first piece. What is that new generation of uh, your your youngest clients, perhaps even in their twenties? What are they looking for um, from you that maybe is different from from generations uh, past or from older generation? <laughs> the uh, the more our generation, <laughs> if we can say. I think they're looking for for something to wear and enjoy. And and mm. for not everyone to have it, something sorry, something unique. <laughs> no, I guess I guess you know, um, uh, you know, you know, our our jewels are not, um, you know, uh, they're usually not um, a first jewelry purchase. Um, I I think to to understand what we do, you need to have seen a bit more than than the than your first um, jewel. However, we, we do see a trend that jewelry is create, collected by younger people, especially by an international crowd. And uh, they are much more um, detail driven. They, they, you know, they, they understand that um, they're looking at something unique and at something different. And um, I, I, I guess I guess that's what they're looking for something unique that stands out and that's different if i get some something some that someone recently told me is that they they love the use of materials that's mm. what what caught their eye you know with all of these different projects and collections that are all doing you know new things and new techniques and new materials all the time um we only sort of touched upon the mushrooms a little bit and <laughs> and all of that which which are so incredible and so unique um you know, I just uh, left Milan Design Week and and saw the presentations from lots of different types of companies and people speaking about craft and design and 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 beauty and and how people are evolving to meet the the needs of the sort of this new this new modern world that we find ourselves in in this sort of post pandemic moment. Um, you know, as two people running this beautiful ancient company, what kind of advice would you give to anybody in in the creative world today um for remaining relevant and sort of for um and for producing things like this like what what kind of what kind of advice stands out to you to stay true stay true to the passion and not to compromise only do something when you feel it's 100% right I know that's huge luxury, um, but I guess that's um, that's something. I think that's a huge advice Yasmin and I can give. We we were just privately in 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 Japan, and uh, we saw the deliberately 
process of slow making and taking time. And I, I, I guess that, uh, I guess that's that's the advice we would give because, you know, you, um, it's 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 so it's so it's so difficult to maneuver in these days. And when you when you really believe in something and tra stay true to yourself, don't cut corners. The outcome can only be amazing. And how do you uh, purchase a piece from Hammerly? What is that process like? Because obviously, you know, it's not online shopping. Although you do have a beautiful website where you can where you can see things, but it's not everything that you have in uh, and sort of available in inventory. Or how does that process work? Yasmin always says our jewelry needs to be tried on. So um, we 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 hope that uh, I mean we we try very best to be. Um, to be available in, in certain points. So we show in London, we show in New York, at Tefaf in London at PAD, uh, and then obviously to Maastricht, the mother of all fairs. And uh, then we have private viewings in Asia, and uh, we, we hope that uh, um, they can make it to see and observe. And you have a showroom in Munich? And we have I'm, a showroom I'm, in Munich, yes. Of course. And so, you know, obviously... Uh, Munich is this sort of character in this this tale of Hammerley that you kind of can't separate the two. Tell me a little bit about uh, about Munich and what sort of role that it plays um, in the in the family story. Munich is home. Um, mm. I mean, we, we we travel the globe, but uh, I'm a I'm a proud Bavarian, and I think uh, even for Yasmin, Munich has has become a little bit of home. Um, it's our roots. Um, it's where we've always been. It's, I think it's the energies of this company. It took me a while to get used to Munich after the hustle and bustle of, of Cairo <laughs> and living in London. And, and now it has become home. It's, uh, we travel a lot and it's nice when you come here to be at in a slower pace, to be right into in the English gardens in two minutes. And um, it, has some, it has a very unique um, feel to it, Munich. And it has the mm. beautiful architecture. And it's it's even though it's a city, it still feels like a village sometimes. And and if someone you know, if someone listening to this, you really wanted them to, when they finished listening to this, and you wanted them to understand something about the company and who you are as a, as a jewelry house. What's that one thing? What would, what would be that one thing that you wanted them to understand? That we're passionate about what we do. I think we live and I think we live and breathe what we do. How so? So I think in in our aesthetic, the way we are in our in our job uh, is is the it's not a job for us. I think it's the way we are at home. I think it's the it's the yeah it's 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 not it's 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 our life. No, it's not Hemele or or doing what we do is nothing you switch on or switch off. You do it either wholeheartedly or you don't do it. And I think that's the beauty about who we are, that everybody in our team feels the same way. And and also we couldn't do this alone. We're very lucky to have um, a, a team who supports us and you know who does it all with us, because everyone is every, every single person who works in for Hammerly is just as important as the next. Because without one thing, we cannot create the next thing. So. And I'm just curious: Are you still producing? honors and medals or anything like that for for the bavarian government yes you are yeah. today. Okay. yes and what kind of things are you making for the for the bavarian government we make the merit for the bavarian uh, the merit of honor of the bavarian government and what's next for hammerley what's 
Oh, what is the what is 2024 <laughs> or what's the second half of 2023 look like? So Hamela is working on its next next big chapter, which unfortunately we can't reveal yet. Okay. But we're working on something very big. A new a new collection or something even different entirely. Something big. Thank you to Christian, Yasmin, and Tefgross for making this episode happen. The editor of The Grand Tourist is Stan Hall. To keep this going, please follow me on Instagram at Dan Rubenstein to learn more. And sign up with your email for updates at thegrandtourist.net. And don't forget to follow The Grand Tourist on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. And leave us a rating or comment. Every little bit helps. Till next time. <laughs>